Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, the Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. Questions coming from our Football Insider subscribers following the Browns' 28-3 loss to the Ravens on Sunday. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot. Uh, if you want to become a Football Insider subscriber, it's pretty easy. You go to cleveland.com slash browns, the blue banner at the top of the page uh, to get info on that and get signed up. Um, okay, so we had a lot of questions about a bunch of different topics. I do want folks to know, uh, I read all of the questions that come in, but um, a lot of them, you know, if there's the same topics or something like that. So if you don't always hear your name or your exact question, uh, sometimes it's because we got to it in a answering a different question or there were three or four questions about the same topic. And that was sort of the case with some of these today. And Mary Kay... I, we could start with the backup quarterback. We could start with Kevin Stefanski. I think I want to revisit this backup quarterback thing here first, though. Uh, this comes from the 614 area code. Hey, Mary Kay, does the Browns front office outsmart themselves? They had a capable backup on cat on contract. They could have kept all three. And to save a few dollars, they risk the entire season because DTR was one injury away. It seems like poor risk-reward analysis. Well, here are my thoughts on that, Dan. When you're weighing Joshua Dobbs against DTR, and you know that DTR is probably going to be your number two at some point down the road, you know, they probably determined that in their minds, there wasn't all that much difference between those two in terms of being able to get something decent back in draft pick compensation. And they were at that point all flush with excitement over DTR and the things that he had done in the preseason. They were so over the moon excited about him. And I think in in the fog of war, the heat of the moment, whatever you want to call it, uh, it seemed like the right decision at the time. And I don't think any of us, uh, you know, really questioned it too, too much at the time, although I, I think we did to a degree. I remember writing and talking in a few different places about the fact that they were taking a pretty big risk by going with a completely unproven rookie as their number two quarterback in a very high stakes season. I remember writing that somewhere or saying it on this podcast uh, because I really did feel that way. But it was kind of hard to make the argument that that Joshua Dobbs was any you know great advantage over DTR because he had only started two games in his career. But the thing about Joshua is that he's been around for six years. The game does slow down for you uh, after that amount of time. And he at least had played two games and had those games under his belt. And you really learn a ton by getting out there uh, and playing in a live game so much more than obviously you do at any other point. So uh, at least he had a couple of starts under his belt, but I never really felt like Joshua Dobbs was a great option at backup quarterback either because of the uncertainty. Now he's gone out in Arizona and he's done a really nice job, but I didn't really think that 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 was a great idea either. I felt like in this high stakes season that they needed an experienced veteran backup quarterback who could really come in there, like a Jacoby Brissett, who could come in there and start and win games for you and hold down the effort hold down the fort in the event that Deshaun got injured. And because he's a running quarterback, the risk for that is relatively high. So uh, again, when you're weighing DTR versus Joshua Dobbs, it, it wasn't that it was six of one and half a dozen of the other, but it was maybe like 60, 40. It just wasn't a huge disparity. Um, so, you know, that, that was the issue there. 
But I do think now as they move forward, and you wrote about this uh, as your zero story, right, as the game ended, that, you know, they really do need to take a look at this and ask themselves, given the fact that Deshaun right now is suffering from a bruised shoulder um, and that there could be other times during this season when they need to go to their number two quarterback, is he the right one? It's perfectly fine to question that based on what we saw yesterday. So, you know, I think it's something that they do need to take a look at during this bye week and before the trade deadline on October 31st. Yeah, I think, like, it's important to note here, like, you, we can talk about this and them needing a, a to maybe evaluate the backup quarterback without it being, like, a shot at Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Like, right. okay, we saw him play, and he just doesn't look ready. And so do you trust that now if this happens again down down the road and you're playing an important game? I don't know, let's say you go to pick some random December game, Houston, and for whatever reason, Deshaun is injured. Um and you need DTR to just go and win a game, you know, on the road against a team you should be able to beat. It didn't look like he's ready for that yet. So, I, you know, now Baltimore is a different animal than Houston, obviously. But it's you just have to make sure. You have to know that you're ready at that backup quarterback position. And it was just so strange the way they approached it. You know, they, signed, they re-signed Josh Dobbs. They made this big deal about him being the backup. They didn't play him in the preseason. They treated him like the number two quarterback. The day he was traded, Kevin Stefanski confirmed that he was definitely the number two quarterback. He didn't waver on that. And then a few hours later, Josh Jobs is traded. It was just a a bizarre situation. And again, it's not like they got a third round pick for him. They got a fifth, which is a nice pick. I mean, they've used fifth round picks to get guys like Amari Cooper. And I think what was the Darius for a fifth round pick. So they've used fifth round picks to get good players. So I understand why you like having those, but I don't know. I, I think it's, it's an interesting question. And obviously now with a little bit of the hindsight of seeing how Dobbs has played in Arizona, it, it kind of stings a little more, but it's not a question about Josh Dobbs anymore. It's a question about what do you do moving forward? Yeah. And, and I do think that, you know, that we have a right to question when we look at it, whether or not this is the right number two for this team at this moment. I mean, what if he had to go in and play against the San Francisco 49ers? Deshaun Watson thought that 100% he was going to be able to play in this football game. And, but when he got to Sunday, the shoulder did not respond the way that he thought that it would. What if he gets to October 15th and for some reason he cannot play against the San Francisco 49ers. Now, no one expects that to happen because they're calling it a bruised shoulder. And certainly a bruise should be feeling perfectly fine by then. But I asked Kevin Stefanski this and I maintain that it should happen. I would be getting a second opinion on the shoulder. Uh, he did tell Evan Washburn of CBS Sports yesterday and, and Evan used it on the broadcast that there was some fluid in there. Okay, well, you know, maybe you take another look at the shoulder in a week or so, and it had not been that long. I mean, he only heard it in the Titans game. Sometimes you have to let some of that fluid get out of there or that bruising get out of there before you can really see what's going on. So if I were Deshaun, if I were his camp, I would be ex exercising my right to get a second opinion on the shoulder. I would have it examined again, even though they feel great about their their medical aspect of it so far. They said that they say there's nothing structurally wrong with it. I would double check. You've got time. It's the bye week. Uh, so I would have somebody else take a look at it. Um, but in the event that you had to have DTR go in and play against the San Francisco 49ers, 
that would be a really tall order. That would be very similar and perhaps even worse uh, than what happened against the Baltimore Ravens. So, you know, I just think it's something they need to take a look at. Before we move on, let's spend a little more time on on this quarterback position uh, because we did hear from Kevin today, and I think we need to talk about this. Um, so he offered a little clarity, I guess, on what happened Sunday, and I know he talked about it a little bit after the game too. Uh, he did say he was asked if Deshaun Watson was medically cleared to play on Sunday, and he did say he was. And that it was ultimately Deshaun just not feeling like he could go out there and be Deshaun Watson, to paraphrase. Um, and he said, and he did say, you know, Deshaun knows his body better than anyone. You know, he said the things he was supposed to say after he he made that confirmation. I, I guess what what do you think of the way that whole situation played out? And do you think that's why it seems like even the Browns were caught off guard that they they had the medical clearance and then you know, two hours before the game, Deshaun made the decision that he just wasn't going to be able to go. Yeah, I think um, the fact that he had been medically cleared and that it really was going to be a matter of how he felt and what he thought he could do, um, you know, I I think that's why everyone was so surprised. And, you know, I talked to Deshaun at his locker on Friday and he told me point blank, I'll be fine. I'll play. I'm going to play. He really thought he was going to, to recover from this and he would play. And if he was someone that had never played injured before in his career, maybe we would have been a little bit more skeptical. But we weren't because we know that he has played in um, in a game in which he played on a completely torn ACL for the whole game when he was at Clemson, and he won that game over South Carolina. We also know that he wasn't permitted to fly to a Jaguars game in 2018 as a member of the Texans, so he took a 12-hour bus ride there, and he played with a collapsed lung and a broken rib. That had to be painful too. Uh, So they really thought that he was one of these guys that was going to just go out and gut it out and play in this game. And I do think that, uh, you know, the fact that it was going to be up to him led everyone to believe that, that he was going to play. And I talked to um, at least one person kind of close to the situation that was shocked. I actually talked to several people very close to this situation that were shocked that he ultimately tapped out and did not play. Um, but we must note, and this is important, we must note that this is something where Kevin Stefanski trusts Deshaun Watson's judgment. He does not think anything more of it than what it is at face value that he went out there, tried to figure out if he could drive the ball longer than, you know, 10, 15 yards and didn't think he could do it. And he hadn't tried it all week. Uh, So this is not some kind of, you know, disconnect, major disconnect between Deshaun and between the team. Yes, they were surprised. Yes, they thought he was going to be able to play. And so did he. And when he woke up on Sunday and went out there and tested it, it wasn't what he thought it was going to be. Yeah, just just a strange week all around. We'll we'll get into some of this, um, but you know, I, I did think that, that Kevin kind of clarifying that it sort of helped. I, I think understand maybe what happened a little bit when it came to how the Browns ran things on Sunday. Uh, but there is you know another discussion mm-hmm. to have here, and that goes with uh, this question from Dave in Strongsville. Hey, Mary Kay, do you believe the game plan for Deshaun Watson was altered or not? For Dorian Thompson Robinson? Not enough. 
it was not <laughs> altered enough. Now, I must say, however, that um, that I think the Browns are finding out that they have to make some significant adjustments in their run game, okay? They're not running the football well. Jerome Ford is not making the yards down for down on his carries that they that they thought he would at this point. And they've got to figure some things out because they thought they had Nick Chubb and then Jerome Ford backing him up and Elijah Moore also gaining, you know, 15 yards a pop sometimes uh, on these, you know, surprise shots that he would take. And it's not working out like that. Uh, of course, we know that Nick Chubb is gone. And Jerome Ford in this particular game, he gained – 26 yards on nine carries, 2.9 yard average. And then against the Titans, he gained 1.8 yards. So uh, that is not going exactly the way that they hoped that it would just yet. Uh, And they've got to break that down over the bye week and see what they can do about it. Because uh, I'm sure that they probably didn't necessarily want to give Dorian Thompson Robinson the ball 36, have him throw the ball 36 times, but they couldn't run it. I mean, they just, they, they were not running it well. So they've got to go back to the drawing board on their running game, and they've got to figure out what they can do. Uh, I don't know if they need to go out and get themselves another running back. I don't know if they give more carries to Pierre Strong. I don't know if perhaps Kareem Hunt will be more up to speed enough by the time they face the San Francisco 49ers. But right now, they're kind of one-dimensional. I mean, they had 93 net yards yesterday. Four of them came on a late Pierre Strong sort of garbage run in the game. So other than that, they were held to 53 net yards rushing. Now, some of that was uh, dinged by the fact that Elijah Moore lost 20 yards on a run. That didn't help matters. Um, but I think they they tried to stick with the same game plan they would have used had Deshaun Watson uh, been in the game. But, you know, the thing about that, too, is that, you know, Deshaun, you know, with the RPOs and the design and the called runs and things like that, he just, he knows what he's looking at. So chances are he would have had more success in that area uh, than DTR was going to have. I don't think uh, that they should have kept the game plan the same as much as they did. So it like, it's hard to completely upend a game plan at the last minute, right? It's, it's really difficult to do that. Even, even like on a Saturday, I mean, I, we were just, I forget why, but this came up last week when the Browns had that Jets game in 2020 and they lost their top four receivers to COVID protocols. It's really hard, even on a Saturday night, to like turn around and have to change a game plan drastically because you've been through a week of practice. You've been through hours and hours of meetings with guys. Like they know what they want to do. There is a part of me, though, that, that again, this just sort of feels where there's that that disconnect between what we all watched and what we heard. And it felt like maybe the Browns got caught up in this a little bit, too. Like, we didn't see Deshaun Watson throw the ball deep. We didn't see him make any of those five to ten. You know, that's all we saw were little five to ten yard throws. You know, we were all standing there on Friday watching him throw and then turn around and walk to Joe Sheehan and not throw again. And the Browns certainly saw that. And then Kevin says today that Deshaun didn't make any of those throws during practice when we weren't out there. So there is a part of me that wonders, like, maybe the Browns, for as convinced as they were that Deshaun was going to play, maybe there should have been a better plan B. I don't know. Maybe they just never were able to get to that plan B because the offense just didn't work. 
um, with, with DTR running it. But I, I do wonder, like, did they just, did they kind of get a little overconfident that, hey, it's going to be fine, Deshaun's going to play. And and then, you know, like we all know, it just ended up not happening. I don't know if there was a better plan B there to be made, but it just feels like there was a little bit of ignoring kind of what they were seeing there. Like, hey, our quarterback hasn't thrown the ball a whole lot in practice. Maybe just in case we should have some sort of secondary game plan here. Well, not only, um, you know, were they fairly confident uh, that, you know, that he was going to play, but they were relying on their quarterback to tell them what was going to happen. And he was telling them, I'm going to play just like he told me that, you know, this was not gamesmanship. He was telling them that he would be fine and that he was going to play. And, you know, he obviously overestimated his ability to feel better within the next 48 hours after saying that. I think he just felt like, okay, well, here's how I feel today, but certainly by Sunday, I'm going to be good to go. Um, And the thing about Deshaun Watson is he has not missed a rep all camp. He took every single first team rep uh, since the day they showed up at the Greenbrier in July for the very first time. And we never saw him take any day. He never gets those veteran days of rest. I mean, he, he just has that sort of warrior type of baller gamer mentality where, you know, he just, he just goes. And um, so I really do believe in my heart of hearts that they thought he was going to play. And even though they did believe and feel that DTR could run most of the same things that Deshaun can, I think they were caught off guard. I think they were pretty much caught off guard when Deshaun said he couldn't go. I mean, if you're out there and you, you're you trying at 10 a.m. to see if you're okay to go, then you're supposed to be the answer is supposed to be yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're you're not going out there to just be like, hey, let's, you know, maybe Deshaun can play it. No, 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 no. He was just going out there for like a final test and everyone expected that the answer was going to be yes. And um, so, no, they, they probably did not pivot as much as they could have during the week. And, um, and, and, Again, like you said, Dan, is there much more that they could have done differently? Not if you're not running the ball. Not if you're not running the ball. I mean, who was going to go out there and run the ball for them? I mean, the only thing that I can see that they could have done a little bit differently is they probably could have tried to run Kareem a little bit more. He only had five carries. Um, And maybe they could have tried Pierre Strong a little bit earlier. Um, But... You know, they're, they're trying to give their their new workhorse running back, their lead running back, the opportunity to go out there and get the job done in the way that they believe that he can do over the long haul. And so I don't know what else they could have done except for pivot to one of those guys a little bit sooner and hope that, you know, hope that they could, you know, make some hay. The other thing is, you know, who knows? Maybe they had more more David Njoku in the game plan in some ways. And, you know, they had, they had to adjust to that too. He went out and gave a very, very heroic performance, but uh, you know, he came in with burns on his face and, you know, even though they knew he was going to play by Saturday, I believe it was by Saturday night, they, they knew he was going to play. 
you know, they probably had to back him off of some things as well. So, yeah, a lot of things conspired against them in this game. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a messy week. So we'll end the, with uh, this part of the podcast. We'll end with uh, this this Kevin question. Um, this comes from Stacy in Columbus. Hey, Mary Kay, Kevin Stefanski seems to get out coached in every game that matters. Is he the guy who can get this offense going? They seem too talented to be this bad. And I think one of the frustrations of this week is everybody came out of last week feeling so good about Kevin and Deshaun and what they could do. And then we didn't get to see it this week, and now we got to sit on it for two weeks. So I guess this is the week-to-week question in the NFL and for this Browns team. Where are we with Kevin right now? Well, certainly he would like to have some things back from this game. But, you know, let's call this what it was. A rookie fifth-round pick who has never started an NFL game went out against the Baltimore Ravens, who a lot of a lot of people think they might be, you know, in the AFC Championship game at the end of the season. Uh, you know, it's a really good, sophisticated defense. Uh, and, you know, let's... Let's not judge, in my opinion, Kevin Stefanski too harshly uh, for a rookie quarterback going out there and struggling and pressing and trying to do too much uh, with a running game that that isn't there. You know, I mean, maybe Dorian looks better if Nick Chubb's in the game. Maybe Kevin Stefanski looks better if Nick Chubb's in the game. I have to believe that that would have been the case. Um, but I'm not going to let this be a referendum on Kevin Stefanski's coaching because nobody seemed to have a problem last week, you know, about his coaching when when the offense looked really good against the Titans. Yeah, I, I mean, there, there's been games where I've had criticisms of Kevin and I've, you know, I've gone over some games last year where it's like, I just don't know how they lost this particular game. I don't put this one in that group. I just think this was such a, you know, my, the only thing, the only thing I can think about is like, could they have maybe had a better plan B like I was talking about earlier, but even that it's like, I I just don't know. I don't know what they necessarily could have done if they couldn't run the football. Um, But I don't know. <laughs> they they did do a lot of trickery on that first series. Maybe they could have simplified some stuff. I don't know, but I just, I'm not sure what Kevin could have done in that situation. I know there's going to be some people out there who don't like to hear that because they want to be mad at Kevin for this, which I understand. But I think there's other, there's other instances where you can be mad about him. And then also like we have to acknowledge he's got what, 13 games left in this season to kind of show hey, don't worry about that Baltimore game. We're going to get this figured out, and me and Deshaun are going to be great together. So there's still just so much football left to make any sort of big sweeping judgment off this one game. Yeah, and you know what doesn't help matters, though, I got to tell you. Having to play the San Francisco 49ers coming off of this bye, when you've got a lot of guys banged up. Now, fortunately for them, they have time to heal. Um, But Deshaun Watson, Miles Garrett, Ethan Posick, David Njoku, they're without Nick Chubb, they're already without Jack Conklin. Um, you know, to have to go up against this 49ers team, if you if we thought Todd Munkin did a nice job in solving this number one ranked Cleveland Browns defense, you know, let's just see what Kyle Shanahan has in store for his former Cleveland Browns team when he comes home to play the team that he was the offensive coordinator for in the same way that Todd Munkin was. Uh, These guys come in, you know, with a little bit of extra. They want to show who they are and what they are. And, um, 
and you know they, they're going to want to keep their streak going. Who are, who are the 49ers playing this coming weekend, Dan? Do you know? I have got to look. I can look here real quickly. Oh, let's see. San Francisco in week five plays the Cowboys. They host the Cowboys. That's the okay. Sunday night game. So that's going to be a big. That's going to be a big game for them. Um, and who knows? Are they going to be five and zero and undefeated when they come here on October fifteenth? Will they be coming off of a loss? Either way, uh, that is going to be a. It's going to be a chess match. It's going to be a battle of wits and wills. And we all know what what Kyle Shanahan is all about, and what that defense is going to be like, and what that offense is like, and what Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey, my goodness, Christian McCaffrey is a load. And and I thought uh, that the Browns showed some, you know, vulnerability, obviously, defensively yesterday. And that will be duly noted by the Kyle Shanahan's of the NFL. So, you know, I mean, Todd Munkin found a way to attack this defense and you can be sure that they better get it solved or Kyle will try to do some of the same things and more. Yeah, and look, we can make excuses for this game on on Sunday against Baltimore, but the reality is if the Browns believe they're a good football team, and they do, I mean, Wyatt Teller said it today, right? I mean, they believe they are, they have a chance to be a great football team. You got to come out your come out of your bye, and you know, do you have to beat San Francisco? Maybe you don't have to, but you can't get outclassed by them. And if you do lose, it's got to be like, hey, we lost by a field goal and had a chance to win. Like, it's got to be one of those coin flip games if, if you lose to them. You can't be outclassed by them. You can't lose 28-3. to three. You've got to show up and show you're on their same level. Um, even if you lose the game, you got to come away feeling like, yes, we are we are on that football team's level, especially with an extra week to prepare. So um, if I, it would be very concerning as long as Deshaun is back, you know, as long as they're relatively healthy, like, it would be very concerning if San Francisco came to town and did what Baltimore just did to the Browns. You're so right about that, Dan. The fact that they have an extra week to prepare for this. So they have a chance to not only heal up, but to really dig into that San Francisco 49ers film and figure out how they're going to mitigate some of the damage that these guys can do. I mean, you cannot come out here and, and lay an egg the way that they did against the Baltimore Ravens. There's just no way uh, that, that they can let that happen uh, because, you know, things start to go south a little bit when you, you know, when you start to dip below 500 and you stack a couple of losses together and suddenly uh, the sky starts to be falling and people are questioning the coaching staff and people are wondering about, you know, this and that. And, um, you know, this is a, this is a crossroads. It's a turning point, in in my opinion, for them uh, as they head into this very, very big game. Because, you know, Baltimore looks to be a really good football team to me right now. They look good. And, you know, we can look and see that the Steelers are struggling and the Bengals are struggling. But the Ravens, uh, if they start to get some of their guys back healthy at the right time, uh, they're going to be a tough football team to beat. I mean, think about all the guys that sat out that game. A month or five, six weeks down the road, uh, they could really be humming along. So the Browns don't want to fall too far behind uh, in the standings and in the win column. They they really need to go out and, and get this right on October 15th. 
Yeah, you you can't have what happened last year when when you came out of the bye and just got run off the field by Miami, thirty nine seventeen. That was see that was one of those games, one of those Kevin games I was talking about earlier. Okay, we're going to take a break. We had a question about the defense and then some other uh, sort of questions that were all over the place. So we'll get to those on the other side here. And welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. So obviously the defense was a a big topic of conversation. Uh, coming out of this game. So let's get to it. Jim Buddy from Pittsburgh. Hey, Mary Kay. In a game where the defense had to step up in a huge division game at home, they played horribly. Why? Pretty simple question. (laughs) You know what? I think that, first of all, uh, Lamar Jackson is healthy. And we should not be shocked and surprised that Lamar Jackson can do some of the things that he can do. He is a former NFL MVP and he's an amazing quarterback. And it it looks to me like he has elevated his game. This was the first game in which Lamar Jackson had multiple rushing touchdowns and multiple passing touchdowns in the same game. He gashed them for four touchdowns yesterday. And Lamar gets really up to play against the Cleveland Browns. And he, he had a phenomenal game. And, you know, when you listen to John Harbaugh after the game, he just talks about how, you know, he diagnosed this defense and they, you know, he operated quickly. He got the ball out of his hand. He used his legs effectively. He used his arm very effectively. I mean, that play that he made on second and 29, the 43-yard pass, to Zay Flowers, where he had to escape pressure and and roll to his right and fire that ball. Uh, now, I will say that Martin Emerson played off of him a little bit and, and didn't have him completely blanketed probably the way that he needed to be on that, on that deep ball. And maybe he was worried about getting a pass interference call and overthought that a little bit. I, I don't know. But um, but that that was a heck of a play. I mean, that was just a heck of a play. So I think uh, the number one reason why the Browns defense didn't look as good as we thought it was or had looked is because of Lamar Jackson. If you look at the first three games that the Browns played in which they built up this number one defense and all its press clippings came against a banged up Joe Burrow who was coming off of a calf injury and is not himself. That was their first game. Then they played um, against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And, you know, that's not necessarily an offensive juggernaut. Um, And then they played against Ryan Tannehill. And, you know, that was just not a good matchup for for the Titans against, you know, Miles Garrett versus Andre Dillard. And it always amazes me how these teams can forget to go out and find the best tackles that they can find. In today's game, you have to have good tackles, like really good tackles. And then when you think you have enough, then you need to go out and you need to get some more. Because when your Ronnie Stanley gets injured, you know, you've got to have somebody else that can step in and get that job done. But um, they had not played the offensive juggernauts of the NFL. This was the best offense that they had faced so far. And think about it. Odell Beckham Jr. didn't even play. And Ronnie Stanley didn't even play. And Rashad Bateman didn't even play. 
but they found a way. I mean, they, you know, Mark Andrews came alive. They, they found holes in this defense and, you know, Miles Garrett talked about the fact that maybe they used their aggressiveness against them. And I think there probably was some of that. Uh, but I think you're just looking at some of the best players in the NFL, the Mark Andrews's, the Lamar Jackson's that really got the best of the Browns on, on this day. I don't think it's that they had, you know, I don't necessarily think it's that they had a horrible game plan. I just don't think they executed very well against some really, really good performances. Yeah. Todd, I mean, Todd Munkin has done a great job with Lamar. There, there's He's completing 74.3% of his passes, which is easily the best of his career. His previous best was 66.1. Um, he's thrown four touchdowns and one interception, and then he's added in four rushing touchdowns. Uh, he's rushed for 220 yards. You, you can just see him starting to thrive in this offense. And to do that, like you said, I mean, Odell was not out there. Um, Rashad Bateman was not out there. Uh, you know, I actually thought aside from, you know, like they didn't let Zay Jones have like eight catches or Zay Jones. I always say Zay Jones, Zay Flowers, <laughs> wrong Zay. They didn't have, they didn't let Zay Flowers have like eight catches. Now they did give up the big play to him, but, um, you know, they did an okay job on him aside from that. So just what Lamar's doing this year is unbelievable. If he stays healthy, this is like an MVP caliber season. So I, that was a big part of it. And I do think, by the way, like, the fact that the offense struggled so much, I think that played into how poorly the defense played too. I think they got gassed and I think they had trouble. You know, the fact that the offense couldn't sustain drives really hurt this defense. Well, when you think about it, uh, two of DTR's three interceptions, one that came on the last play of the game, resulted in touchdowns for the Baltimore Ravens. So 14 of their 28 points came largely because of DTR picks. One, uh, they had a 52-yard interception return, and another one, a 36-yard interception return. So you're putting your defense uh, at the 10, trying to defend Lamar Jackson. On the first play of the game, he runs it right in from the 10. Okay, so you're putting your defense behind the eight ball there. That had so much to do with the defensive performance. I don't really just necessarily think that uh, you know, that they just had no idea what they were doing out there. I think that the the circumstances of of DTR playing and throwing picks uh, had a whole lot to do with what went on in that game. Because once you start playing from behind, everything changes. And, you know, you just don't want to get into that kind of a position uh, with, with Lamar Jackson. He took advantage of it. He took advantage of uh, what the Browns were giving him. Okay, let's get to some more. Uh, there, there were a bunch of different topics people wanted to get into, so let's get into a couple of these. You touched on this name earlier, Greg from Indiana. Hey, Mary Kay, why do the Browns continue to insist on running with Elijah Moore? The plays do not seem effective, and big mistakes are occurring. Well, this is the first time in Elijah Moore's professional career that he has been used as a running back. Uh, the amount of carries that he now has, and of course he only had one yesterday, so he's got a total of seven so far this season. That's two more than he had in his first two seasons. He had five as a rookie and five in his second year with the New York Jets. So this is the first time he's really running the ball on a consistent basis in the pros. And so far, it just hasn't worked. It hasn't worked the way that they've wanted it to work. Does that mean that they have to completely abandon it? 
you know, maybe not, but they have to break it down at the buy and decide if this is the best way to use Elijah Moore or if they want to go back to more of a short passing game, get the ball in his hands mm-hmm. and let him run after the catch. That might be the way to go. Right now, using him as a running back isn't working. And they need to overhaul mm-hmm. their running game during the bye week. When they come back and they play against the San Francisco 49ers, they have got to have figured out that there is life after Nick Chubb and they got to figure out what it is. They have to figure out how to get Jerome Ford on track. These were two good run defenses, but still, you have to still be able to run the ball against a good run defense. So, uh, you know, they've got to figure out, is is it going to be more of Kareem, more of Pierre, uh, more of Jerome, but in with a different blocking scheme with, you know, changing it up somehow in, in, in front. Mm-hmm. Um, somehow, some way, uh, you know, they need to get this figured out. Maybe they need to find another running back somewhere. Maybe they need to, to do something about that. Maybe they need to trade for a running back. I mean, because when you think about it, the news that they got on Saturday, that Nick Chubb now needs to have an additional surgery, okay? That was pretty big news. That's big news that, you know, originally uh, Adam Schefter of ESPN had reported uh, that he only had a torn MCL. And you know what? That was too optimistic, That was premature and too optimistic. They were always going to have to get in that knee and see what was going on in there before they could determine the full extent of the damage. And just by looking at the injury, it seemed pretty obvious to the naked eye uh, that there was a lot of damage that happened on that particular hit. Now, Nick Chubb probably isn't going to make it back for the start of 2024. And that's the final year of his contract, okay? And when he does make it back, There's a good chance, and I talked to an orthopedic surgeon about this over the weekend. Uh, He's basically saying that, uh, you know, if if Nick Chubb doesn't have the ACL surgery for another two to three months, then, you know, it could take him a, a pretty good long time to get back during the 2024 season, even though it's possible. And we know Nick Chubb is a freak of nature. Uh, You know, they can't rely on him at the beginning of 2024, and they, they know that. So you know, maybe you do look at trading for a running back. Now, do you go the caliber of a, of a Jonathan Taylor at this point? You know, I don't know if you do something like that, but maybe you do. I mean, maybe you at least think about it. I don't think that's in their mental paradigm right now. I really don't, but you know, maybe you really need to reevaluate your whole running game in the absence of Nick Chubb and knowing now uh, that it's going to be a long, long, hard road back for him and try to figure out if there isn't something that you need to do now. And, 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 you know, and it's hard. You don't want to talk about the money when it comes to Nick Chubb, but they've got the cap space right now to go out and get themselves a really good running back. So I don't know. I just think it's something that they at least need to think about over the next few weeks. The other thing too, is even when he does come back, we've seen this before with guys, sometimes with these ACLs, it's kind of the year after the year when they look like themselves again. And I think Saquon Mm -hmm. Barkley is actually a really good example of this. He tore his ACL and I I pull it up here. He tore his ACL in 2020. He comes back in 2021 and he rushes for 593 yards, averages 3.7 a carry. I mean, this is a guy that had 2000 scrimmage yards his rookie year. Um, Then last season, it's 1,300 yards, it's it's 10 touchdowns, it's 4.4 yards per carry, you know, and Saquon's a pretty freakish human being too. So 
sometimes with these running backs, it's it can be the year after the year. And I know I, I haven't uh, watched a ton of the Jets recently. I know Brees Hall had a big game when he came back from his torn ACL in week one. Um, I haven't followed what he's done the rest of the way. So it's not everybody. But there is that chance that even when he's back on the field, he might not look like Nick Chubb right away. Well, uh, as I mentioned, I did talk to an orthopedic surgeon over the weekend about this, not one who did the surgery or has treated Nick Chubb, but who does these surgeries on a regular basis. And he said he was looking more at 25, 26 for the, you know, for the return of Nick Chubb based on everything that he's been through. Let's remember that this isn't just a torn ACL that he's going to be coming back from. He's going to have, he has had the torn uh, meniscus repaired, the torn medial collateral ligament repaired, and a medial, um, a medial, I can't remember what the medial disc or something like that, the medial, what, the medial something else uh, repaired on Friday. We're not, we're not doctors. <laughs> and um, and then, then after two to three months, then he's going to have, and there's not a whole lot he can do in those two to three months uh, with the knee because he's going to be rehabbing and just recovering from that surgery and just waiting to get strong enough to have the ACL surgery. So when all is said and done, since 2016 in Georgia, he will have had his, in the same left knee, the MCL repaired twice, the LCL, the lateral collateral, the PCL, the posterior collateral ligament repaired, the ACL repaired, the torn meniscus repaired, and the medial, whatever thing that I can't remember it's called, repaired. So every single thing in that knee except for the patella has been damaged. And again, Nick is superhuman and we know that he's Batman. He's a superhero, uh, but it's going to be a long, hard road back for Nick. And the Browns are going to have some decisions to make. Certainly they have some financial decisions to make because he's supposed to make $16.2 million next year. That's not going to happen. And they have to figure out, you know, what is best for their, their football team. And they'll, of course, they'll try to do right by Nick Chubb because he's Nick Chubb. Um, but you don't just go handing out $16.2 million out of the goodness of your heart. So they've got decisions to make on him. And in the meantime, they have to figure out how to run the ball. And so, um, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's something to look at if they really do believe that they can get to the Super Bowl this year and that all their dreams and hopes and goals are still in front of them. They need to figure out the running game. Okay, this podcast has been a real downer, so we're going to end on a, on a high note here. And this one comes from Brian in Mini. Hey, Mary Kay, my question is simple and positive. How about Dustin Hopkins just banging field goals in right down the middle from 50-plus? You know what? That is one of the bright spots of the season so far. He came in 15 of 30 from 50-plus. He had a 50% shot of making those, and he is 100% right now. Three, four, three. I don't know what Bubba Ventrone has has done uh, to get these 50 yarders out of Dustin Hopkins. But, you know, it was a Justin Tucker-like performance for him yesterday and has been since he arrived on the Browns doorstep. And, you know, sometimes when a coach shows a whole bunch of faith in you, uh, you know, you kind of rise to the occasion. And when we asked Bubba about these 50 yarders the other day, he didn't even know 
that Dustin Hopkins wasn't good at 50 plus, or at least he acted like he didn't know it. And if he doesn't know it, then maybe Dustin, Dustin Hopkins can pretend like that was never the case. Um, but so far uh, he's been golden from 50 plus and it's really helped the Browns a lot. Yeah. His numbers so far this season, uh, eight of nine field mm. goals. He's only missed one. Um, that was a 43 three. yarder in yep. Pittsburgh, I believe. Yeah. And then like you said, yep. three of three from 50 plus he's hit all his extra points. Um, the Browns did a nice job on, you know, a quick turnaround. They had to go find a kicker and they were aggressive and they went and found a kicker when they decided to move on from Katie York and they made that trade to, to get Dustin Hopkins. So, uh, you know, that's a, that's certainly a credit to them there to go fix that position because we talked about it leading into the season. You cannot have that position costing you football games right now. No, not at all. So yeah, that was great. I mean, they have some other things that, that they need to address. And we've, we've talked about this. We talked about it yesterday. You know, we all thought the bye week was coming too early. It's really not coming too early because some of their issues have come to light pretty early on in the season. We know they have run it, run, I mean, return issues, run game issues, and a few other things. So now they've got an opportunity to maybe make a couple of trades and fix some issues as they move forward here. Okay, there we go. Our Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. We're going to still bring you a full week of podcasts this week. The Browns heading into their bye week. They will, of course, be off this weekend. So um, no post-game pod. So we'll give you a full week of pods this week. And then we'll be back with another Hey Mary Kay to start next week, either later on Monday or first thing Tuesday morning. So just get subscribed to this feed on Apple Podcasts and Spotify uh, so that it pops up in your phone as soon as I hit publish on these podcasts. I mentioned Football Insider off the top. It's the blue banner of the, on the top of the page at Cleveland.com slash Browns. Find us on Instagram. Search Orange and Brown Talk. Find us on YouTube. Go there and search Cleveland Browns on Cleveland.com. Mary Kay, I'll talk to you later. Sounds great.